Hi, I'm Philip Pomaski, and you're listening to Inside Position. Sacrifices. You gotta make sacrifices for your team. To answer your question. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Inside Position with me, Tom Halpin. I'm joined today by Philip Pomaski, a European champion at the black belt level and someone who is commonly regarded as a top prospect in the sport throughout most of his career. Philip has a very interesting story to tell, having traveled and trained extensively in places like Brazil and the US with world champions such as Roberto Cyborg Abreu and Marcus Bouchesha, to name a few. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, it helps a lot if you can share it with your friends and follow and give the podcast a positive review as well. So here we go with another episode of Inside Position with Philip Pomaski. Hi, Philippe. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I want to start off going back to your early days in the sport, training in Switzerland as maybe a white belt, a blue belt. How was the level there at the time? And when did you kind of realize that you had ambitions to get to the top of the sport? So when I started um, training in Switzerland, I mean, I think training was always good, but there were just not that many guys. Like when I started, we weren't that many people. And the biggest thing was not training every day, not being able to train every day since we were um, we were like renting out a room where they, they were usually training wrestling. We couldn't train more than three times a week. So that was, I think, one of the biggest problems in that sense that you, you weren't able to train more. But I think, I mean, the coach here in Switzerland, the guy I started with, Claude Diego, um, he's really good. I think still to this day, I think he's really good. So the, the level was always good, like from uh, like the teaching perspective. He was always doing a really good job, in my opinion. But there weren't many competitors, for example. Like if there were competitors, they were competing at a very like regional level, like just around the comp- competitions around here. There weren't many anyways. Like when I started, I remember when I was a blue belt, there was the first Open in Europe, the IBJJF Opens that you have like every weekend now. They had the very first one in London. And a part of that, there was like little competitions around Switzerland, uh, Germany, like the border to Germany, uh, Austria and France. Not many people competed. So I uh, started training. I liked it a lot. I started competing very early. I think I did my first tournament after like three weeks or like a month. So really early. And I I thought it was crazy. Like the experience was crazy. I liked it. I wanted to train more and win. And yeah, eventually we started training more. We started training on the weekends in another gym uh, where we were able to train. After that, we trained like five times a week, three times during the uh, week and twice on the weekends. Yeah, I wanted more and I trained more and I talked to my coach and we always tried to do as much as possible. And then I was still in school and I realized I want to, you know, I, I want to be good at this because it's so much fun. And I won a couple tournaments around here. The stuff I competed around, white belt, I was winning. I wanted more and I got my blue belt and I left to train for a vacation at Cyborgs. So the first time I went there, like I, I just got my blue belt like a week before, I think. And I left to train there and I, I trained there and I liked it a lot. Then Cyborg told me to keep coming back and I did and, you know. So it was kind of like the traveling came out of necessity, I suppose, because I was in a similar position. You can only train a few days a week and you're just itching to get the extra training and everything in. How did you kind of get the connection with Cyborg and go over there? Like what made you make that decision? I just sent him a message on Facebook, really. I was in school. So in summer, we have like a six week vacation, like a break. And I thought, why not use those six weeks to go somewhere and train? 
And initially, I wanted to go to New York to train at Marcelo Garcia's because I, you know, he's he's a freaking legend. So I wanted to go there and train. And I talked with my coach about it, and he's like, "Yeah, that would be really nice. You know, that's a good place to go." But did you think of maybe training with Cyborg? And at the time, Cyborg was just like coming up, like getting more famous with his tornado sweeps. He he like released his tornado DVD at that time. And my coach saw it and he's like, hey, I like the way he explains stuff. You know, he, he does a really good job at teaching and everything. And then I thought, yeah, because the problem in New York, it's a city. I would be sitting in a city for six weeks during my like summer vacations. So I was like, why not go to Miami where there's a beach and training? So we combined that and I, I sent him a message on Facebook and he responded. I said, can I come train for like six weeks? He's like, yeah, sure. Come down. And I did. And I didn't know anyone. I just showed up there at the gym and I was like, here I am. And was there, was there a bit of a shock when you got there with the level or how was it different to back home? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, th I still think to this day, I still think the gym here back home is really good. I still think I get really good training to this day. I feel like I have very good training partners. The guys are really tough and they like to train hard. So it wasn't that much of a difference in, in, in that sense. What I felt was that there was like a couple guys that were really good that stood out like Ricardo, you know, Ricardo, remember him? Yeah. So like he was a purple belt at the time and he was already like, he was murdering me when I, when I got there. And that was like the biggest thing to me that there was like one or two guys. Those were the guys that were really good that I didn't have back home at my gym. Like I had, there was a coach and there was a couple, you know, like tough guys, but there wasn't like, they were like world-class level and obviously cyborg. So I think, but like the regular guy, I think it was pretty much the same thing as back home. I kind of felt the same way because I had a similar bringing in a small gym and then having to travel as well for training. But I would find the biggest difference that I saw was in the mental aspect to it. Like everyone just had higher expectations of themselves. Everyone was more competitive when I would travel. Did you find the same thing? That's something I maybe felt I was missing a little bit was somebody that was like my age. I was, I don't know if I can say the youngest guy at the gym, but for sure, I mean, I was 17. I was, if not the youngest, I was one of the youngest. And I was like young and I wanted to do something. If I remember correctly, I was like the only young guy that, you know, tried to make something more out of it than just like some regional competition. I wanted to go to world championships and do well and stuff. So I felt like I was missing that a little bit. I didn't have anyone that was in the same position as me trying to accomplish something in that sense. Yeah. And also believing in it. I mean, when I trained here, I, I would never expect to do well in any competition outside of what I knew. Like I was winning tournaments in Switzerland, but then I always, I asked, I actually asked my coach that I was like, I was a white belt at the time and I was winning the stuff here. And then I asked him if he thinks I would even stand a chance against guys in Brazil at white belt, you know, because to me, it was like, for sure, they're much better than me because they're in Brazil, you know, they, they have better training or whatever. And he was like, no, man, you know, you're a white belt, they're white belts. You can just do as, as good as they do. So after tra traveling and uh, training with all those people, I started like believing in it. I'm like, man, maybe I, I can really do something. Maybe I can really win something at a bigger level, you know? And what was the dream at the time? Like, did you start off with smaller goals and get bigger? Or were you straight away shooting for black belt world champion? Kind no, of thing? not at all. My, man, my goal was actually like embarrassingly humble because um, my coach even told me like, man, what the fuck? I told him my dream would be to take part in the world championship. Yeah. Like it wasn't, it wasn't to win anything. And it wasn't at any belt level. I just said, I want to go there. And 
I obviously I wanted to win, but I felt it was it sounded so stupid to say, man, I want to win the world championship. People are gonna laugh. So I was like, yeah, I just want to go there and, and be part of it. And my coach told me like, he's like, what the hell, man? Fuck taking part in the tournament. Like you 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 want to win it, you know? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I actually want to, but it just felt stupid saying that. I don't know. And sometimes just to give yourself a chance to do it, like that's all I ever wanted was to have the level and have the opportunity and to at least have a chance to do it. And it would be the same with like getting promoted. I would never think, oh, I want to be a purple belt. I would just say, I want to have the level of purple belt. Exactly. I want, yeah. I want everyone complaining that I haven't got my purple belt yet, you know, and that seemed that seemed to go pretty well, actually. Yeah, exactly. I think that's one thing you should never want is like the belt promotion for the sake of the promotion. Obviously, I wanted to get the next to the next belt, but just to get a progress to, you know, take a step forward. I always wanted to be the best at my belt. So when I was a white belt, I wanted to be the best at white belt. And after I started doing well at white belt, I started to plan like my goal was after I did well at white belt, I said, I want to beat every white belt and blue belt. My goal was always like a belt higher when I was able to do that. And I, after a while, I got my blue belt and I said, okay, now like blue belt is already like, I got to beat every blue belt, but my goal is to beat every purple belt. So I always like aimed up and then at purple, I was like brown on black and it doesn't do you any well if you get your belt quick and then get smashed by everyone. Yeah, it's definitely not good for confidence. And confidence is probably one of the biggest things for competing, really. Did you have that from the beginning or was it just something you learned? Because you're someone who's competed a lot over the years. Yeah, I think just learned because, like I said, I didn't know what to expect when I would go against other guys. Like I had the experience from around here. And in my opinion, it wasn't the best guys I was going against, you know. So I didn't know if I was going to go to the US or Brazil and going to get totally smashed or if I would actually do well too, you know? So I had to kind of learn that by just doing it, by competing, by training in a lot of different gyms, by traveling. And after a while, I realized like, man, like I said, it's possible. I'm I'm actually like doing well at this. It's not just because I'm competing in Switzerland where there's, I'm not saying that's the case, but in my opinion was like, yeah, that's not the best guy. So I'm winning because they're not that good, you know? But then after a while, you know, I realized it's it's actually possible to go anywhere and win I mean, if you're like, you know it, if you're from a small gym, I always had that mindset that like, that's why it was hard to believe in the beginning. Like, why would I do well? There's so many good big gyms with a lot of world champions and I'm just from a small gym. How the hell should I be able to beat them? You know, like in the beginning, that's how I thought. It took me a while to realize that as well. I think actually going over to Miami like yourself was one of the times that I realized it because I just saw that everyone is kind of training similarly to me they have no major advantages that i don't have and i just kind of realized that they're human in a sense i suppose yeah exactly exactly that's how i felt too and so you've been someone who's been like a top prospect for kind of most of your career spending a lot of time at the lower belts and winning a lot of the bigger tournaments there was there ever any kind of pressure that came with being a prospect like that maybe when you got promoted you're expected to be winning at the next level straight away yeah kind of and honestly a lot of that pressure came from myself. It wasn't even from the other people because, and I had to learn that like the hard way because I, I stressed myself a lot about that because I felt they had expectations. The people I trained with had expectations since I was like always kind of doing well. It was like, yeah, of course you're going to win, you know? And if I didn't, it was like, how the hell did you not win? So, but then again, I mean, it's their opinion. And I had to learn that it's somebody's opinion. It's not reality. It's just how somebody thinks. And it doesn't matter what they think, you know. 
But I mean, it came with time because I, I used to stress myself a lot. Like I said, the pressure came from myself because I, I would think like, man, they are expecting me to win. And I would always like do well. So I have to win. So if it was anything else than winning, I would be I would be miserable. Like sometimes I would be super pissed and it wasn't fun at all. And I wish I could go back and have like a more mature mindset where I'm like, man, it's just it's all good. I'm training. I'm 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 going up the ranks i'm trying my best and it is what it is but like back then it wasn't what it was it was i was mad if 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 it didn't work out i was super super pissed and it it like got to me you know yeah it's funny that focusing kind of on the result instead of the process always makes you have a worse performance like it's the same for me i'll always just when i take it too seriously and then i'm in my own head i just not as loose as i would normally yeah, be. yes exactly because you're scared of losing like the expectation is that big that you have to win then it, the focus shifts from i want to win to i can't lose so once you start thinking i can't lose you're gonna tighten up because you're like you're not able to like you can't lose and then you're not performing well because you're scared and the, the the fight sucks. You're not performing well. You get sometimes you lose even if you are afraid to lose. And then you get out there and you didn't even perform. I mean, if you perform well and you lose, you can be satisfied. But if you perform like shit and you lose, you're like, man, you know, everything went wrong. And so, how did you overcome that? Was it just a case of experience, or was there different kind of mental techniques or things you would think no, about? No, just honestly, just experience and like thinking about it, like trying to um, pin down what was bothering me. And honestly, it took me a long time. Like, I would say only once I got to my black belt, really, like, that I actually, like, honestly, I don't care anymore today. And it it just makes me feel good. Like, I honestly don't care anymore. Obviously, I train hard. I go to competition. I want to win. I'm, I, I want to do well. But I want to perform more than I want to, than I want to win. Like, winning is cool. It, uh, it's fun. But I think it's more it's 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 more worth to me like having a good performance and just going out there to scrap than going after the medal. Like I don't care about it anymore. I think I've I've tried it so many times. I've been after the medals for so long. I mean, I have a couple, and honestly, man, I don't you know like I don't give it crap anymore. Like I just wanna I just wanna fight. You know, I just do it for fun. So I think when you're younger as well. I know myself, I, I felt sometimes like I have nothing else except jiu-jitsu. And then it put so much pressure on it. And then when I kind of had some other little stuff going on, it didn't take much away from jiu-jitsu, but it actually added a lot because I had a lot less pres- pressure then. I felt like yeah, if I course. failed at jiu-jitsu, it's not like I fail at life. You know, I was wondering, did you have any kind of similar experience? Yeah, 100%. Like I mean, I left I left home. I left Switzerland to go. I, I moved to Brazil first. I lived in Brazil for two years. And then I lived in the U.S. for, I think, like four and a half years. So altogether, it was like pretty much seven years that I was gone. And I mean, I left home. I was supposed like my parents uh, thought I was going to go to university right away after I did. Um, I finished school like everybody does. Like either you, you finish school, you go to work or you finish school and you go to university. Nobody does anything else in Switzerland. Switzerland is just about like work. And, you know, there's no sports has doesn't mean much here. So. Yeah, so when I when I left, like my parents were like, for, I, they always supported me. I really I could have never done it without their support. But um, in the beginning, it was more support since they were like, yeah, he's gonna do that for like half a year. That was the plan, maybe a year at the most, and I come back and do university. And 
I kept going and I kept going. And they were like, what are you going to do with your life? You know, come back, do something decent. I mean, what, you're going to be like living this crazy life forever. So it, it even put more pressure on me because I left behind like all my friends. I left behind everything I had and all the, 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 the opportunities I had for a, in like a decent life in, in, you know, in some sense where I could go to work and have everything set up. And I was like sleeping in gyms. I lived in gyms. I slept on every couch possible on every floor. It just put more pressure on me because I had to win. If I wasn't winning, what was I doing with my life? So it wasn't for fun at all. You know, it, it was for, I don't know, I had to prove it to myself. I had to prove it to everybody that I wasn't just, I don't know, messing up my life. I was actually accomplishing something, you know. So I felt a lot of pressure from that too. Sometimes when you don't burn the bridges though, like then it's too easy to give up along the way. Because there's going to be a lot of hard times, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Was there any times along the way where you were like, man, maybe I made a mistake, like not going to university and all that? A thousand times, yeah. Really? Too many times, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I always say I would do it again right away without hesitation. I would do it again if I if I had like to choose. I would do it, but I would do it a lot cleverer. It's hard to explain. Like sometimes I just, I felt like I was stubborn and I just wanted to make it happen. And I think I could have done it better, but I would still do it for sure. But obviously there was like a bunch of times where I was like, what am I doing with my life? Like I said, I was like living in gyms, sleeping on the floor, sleeping anywhere on the mats, like just living like a, a un, very uncomfortable life sometimes. No money for the longest time, zero, zero money. So actually, that was one of the reasons why I decided to come back home because I was it was not fun anymore. Like the last couple of years in California, it was really, really stressful. I mean, I wasn't honestly, I wasn't making enough money at all. Like I, I wasn't even making half what I needed to survive more than half. I had to come up with every month for like the last two years that I lived in California. I wasn't like I didn't know if I was able to if I was going to be able to pay my rent every month I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to pay my rent like back then I was sponsored by Hayabusa and they paid me money but they only pay me money if I won a tournament so my rent was the money I won from winning a tournament so I had to win a tournament every month to pay my rent and uh, thank god I worked out but it was always uncertain. I never knew. I was like, if I'm going to lose a tournament this month and I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to pay rent. That's it. You know, like it was always, it was a stress, man. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. And was there ever times where you were injured and stuff and you just have to go compete and because you need to, you need to make it happen? Yeah. A bunch of times too. Like uh, I've competed with all different kinds of injuries. I've, com I mean, uh, I'm not even talking about the fingers. They're like messed up forever. They're always messed up, but, you know, like shoulder, knee injuries that you, you know, you still have to do it. I mean, what's what's the alternative? The alternative is, I don't know, packing up my stuff and moving back home. So sometimes when I talk about it, it doesn't sound that much fun. It was a lot of fun. It was crazy, but it was tough. It was it was not easy for sure. And I think people have that image in their mind when they hear about it. They're like, oh, you know, the guy lives in California. He's fucking he's on the beach all day surfing and no, man, I, I went to the beach in the four years I lived in California. I think, no, I, li I lived there for like three, three and a half years. 
I went to the beach like two, three times altogether. Like I lived by the beach on the street of the beach. And in all those years, I went like two, three times to the beach. Like there, there was no going to the beach. I don't know. It, it's not what you do when you're, you know, when you're there, you're training all day, you're hurting all day. You're trying to make it happen, make money. Yeah. The first time I went to cyborgs when I was 19 as well, I went for, I think it was two or three months and I saved up a little bit of money before I went, but I didn't have much. I think my budget was like $12 a day. So if I spent 20, if I spent 20 one day, then I only had four the next day. Yeah, I know how that is. <laughs> so I used to do like my classic dinner at the time was, uh, like I was 19, like, and I wasn't, I wasn't that into fancy food or anything. So I used to make a pot of rice, pour out the water, pour in a jar of tomato sauce, stir it up add in two or three tins of tuna, stir it up and then sit down on the couch, absolutely sweating because there was no air conditioning in the room. It was like <laughs> yeah. 35 degrees yeah. and just eating, eating with a fork out of the pot, my little rice and tuna thing. But I was so happy at the time, you know, and it was the same thing with the beach. I remember my mom texting me or calling me and saying, oh, send me some pictures of Miami. And I was like, oh, well, I actually haven't really, haven't really seen anything to take a picture of. And she was like, what, you haven't been to the beach? I think I'd been to the beach maybe one time out of two months because it was just every single day in the gym all day. I know exactly how that is when people are like, oh, send me or, or like go there and do this. And like, I don't have time for this. There's no there's no tourism happening here. Like I'm 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 trying to make it happen. I'm trying to, you know, accomplish something. I've been eating ravioli for two years <laughs> straight every day. Seriously, like at the time I came back to Switzerland, I fucking hated ravioli. Because I couldn't see it anymore. I would eat it every day for like lunch or dinner. At least once a day I would have ravioli because a pack costs like $3. And making regular spaghetti was just, you know, there's not much happening. It's just spaghetti. So ravioli, at least you have something inside. So you have a little taste and stuff. So, But I would eat that every day because it was 3 bucks. Like that's the money I had, you know. Like there was days, there was days I ate once a day because I didn't have money. That's tough. That's tough when you're actually not getting as much as you should, like, you know. Like, people don't don't believe, like, I'm from Switzerland. People have usually have a good life here. I left to another country to not be able to eat three times a day every day sometimes, you know. The things we do for, for the sport, I suppose. And how was the training there at the time? You were training in Checkmat HQ, I think, and there was guys there like Bouchesha and everyone. How was the training there and what did they... What were they kind of doing differently than other parts of the world? Because they were getting good results. Training was really good, obviously. Hard to say what they did differently. I mean, Leo Vieira is a great coach, obviously. So he would always, you know, make sure that guys learn what they need to learn. Like, he knows so much about jiu-jitsu. So any question you ask him, he has, like, the perfect answer to it. A part of that, I mean, guys would just train hard. They're focused. They they lift weights. They do conditioning. They, tra they train jiu-jitsu. So... I mean, it was just tough training for me. It was especially like good and tough because I would be the only, most of the times, the only lower belt training with them. So, I mean, if it wasn't before world championships where everybody comes over to, to fight and then there's like the gym is packed with a hundred people. If it was during the year, usually we would um, have like the lunch training. It was like at noon or one. I was like a purple belt. And I was the only one, I think most of the times it was black belts only and me, you know, like there wasn't even any brown belts. But so it was Bouchesha, Panza, Lucas Lecce, uh, João Assis, uh, Arnaldo. It was just a B 
beating every day <laughs> for like uh, you know for the for for all this time but it was good i mean i learned a lot thinking back today i think like again like i said before i could have done it better i don't think the beatings were necessary every day because it just got me really tough i think that's something i mean it helps me today obviously like being tough always helps but you don't need to get beat up every day to be tough like i felt I feel like I could have learned way more and progressed quicker if I did it more, like if I sought out progress more actively, like if I was actually like, oh, I need to learn this. And no, I went to the gym and I would spar with the guys. We would, uh, lunch was um, 10 times 10 minutes. So 10 rolls of 10 minutes. And we would just, you know, like, and now I'm heavier. Now I'm like uh, 94 kilos. At the time I was like 85, 86 and I mean, Bushesha is 100, uh, I don't know, 15 or, you know, Panza was always over 100 kilo. Like all the guys, Lucas Lecce was like a little lighter than me, but tough as nails, obviously. But usually the guys were bigger, stronger, uh, better. So it was just, I mean, I could only do my A game every day and still get smashed. And it would just, I would be injured, I would be hurting. And thinking back, I think I could have done a lot better if I if I actually tried to focus on getting better than other than just hard sparring. I think that's one mistake I did. It seems like these days there's a lot more attention to like actual skill progression than people are doing more specific training and specific drills. And like, what was the biggest lesson you kind of took away from, from training with the lads? Hard to say. I mean, it, like I said, it for sure got me tough. It for sure got me to a point where... I think it's, it's, you need to learn how to train like that. You need to learn how to be able to like push a button and go like a hundred percent right away. And I think that's important for tournaments because that's how it is in a tournament. If you're like hesitating in a tournament, he, and he doesn't hesitate, you know, you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna probably end up losing or something. So it, it was just that mindset of training hard, of just, I wouldn't say reckless, but you know, like when you give a hundred percent and you don't, yeah, like you don't care what happens. You just scrap as hard as possible. And I think sometimes that's something you need to learn too. I see some guys, like I've trained with guys that are really good technically, but they're afraid to go hard. Like once stuff gets, once the training gets tough and, and people go hard, they like, they kind of, I don't know. It feels like they're shrink, you know, like they're scared. And I think you need to be able to just go full, you know, full force and, and not be scared of it. Yeah, you definitely have to find the balance with all the, the different things. I guess that's where the experience comes in big time as well. And training with Bouchesha specifically, was there anything in his mindset or his competitiveness or anything that set him apart? Obviously, being a 10-time world champion is something pretty special. There must have been something about him that you noticed that was kind of at a different level to everyone else i did and it was actually that he didn't care about training at all in a sense of he didn't have to win every role you know like and i, I that really impressed me because until then like i mean i've trained with a lot of people and i'm not saying everybody had to win every role and you know they they couldn't give up an advantage but i could really feel like he didn't give a shit there was days you could train with him and you could do anything on him and like he wasn't afraid of being submitted he wasn't afraid of getting scored on which you know sometimes when people are like that many times world champion and whatever it gets to their head and they're like oh I, i'm the best i can only win nobody can do anything on me 
and then they start training like that and then they never get put into bad spots and then if it happens one time in a tournament you you're not able to get out you know and he never cared like he would get into bad spots all the time and then get out some way so he always trained that and if he if he realized that you're good at something at a specific thing that you i don't know you might catch him with like he didn't try to avoid it he tried to just you know get there and then try to escape it and like work his 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 uh, way out and that really impressed me that he like there was days especially before tournaments that he showed up at the gym and he would just like wreck anyone and not make like not give anyone one advantage and then there was days usually just throughout the year when it wasn't for any tournament like any specific tournament uh, preparation he would just train and if you would you know do something on him like you could see he genuinely doesn't care and i think that's one thing that i like when i train i like to put myself in the in bad spots too i think it's actually a lot of fun to work your way out of bad spots and i do that a lot and i think you know that's something that everybody should try i mean there's no winner in the gym i mean if there is a winner in the gym it's the guy that learns the most and for sure i think he he does learn a lot when he trains yeah, it's definitely important to remember the kind of distinction between training and competing. And you see a lot with someone like that. They train a much more open style. And then in competition, they're kind of ready for everything. I think it shows in Bouchesha as well. He has a very like attacking style. He's a scrapper. He, he gets in any bad spot and you think, oh, that's it. He's done. He's not getting out of it. But then, you know, it's him and he always gets out of it. And I mean, how many world championships he was like being mounted with like two minutes left and he's exploded got out swept passed took the guys back and choked him in like the last 30 seconds because you know that's how you know, how it goes and then so obviously the last while you've been training back home in switzerland how do you find the difference now between that kind of grinding style of in america versus being back home and having more lower belts to train with and things like that i actually like it a lot to be honest i don't know i, I somehow feel it it almost gives me better training. What I sometimes what I lack is somebody that is like on my level where I can go head to head and go hard. And it's like an equal role that you really have both are going super hard, like a competitive role. That's probably something that I'm missing. And obviously, like really just getting smashed sometimes is just a good experience. So I'm missing that too. But all in all, honestly, I would say I feel better now than I would when I was training in the US, like I feel I'm more mature for sure. I mean, I learned a lot of stuff, but I think this training helped me more. Like I got to fix a lot of holes in my game. I feel more complete than ever now. Actually already back then when I was living in, when I was living in the US, since I told you like I would train with those guys at noon and I was only able to play my A game because it was like against the best guys, I would never really work on the holes I had in my game and also not implement a lot of new stuff even if i was learning new stuff let's say at night class we would train um it, night class was always like with all the regular guys that weren't like competitors so you could have like easier roles but still like and then i would i would learn during those night classes because like leo would teach something and then i would learn it but i was never really able to implement it in my game because the next day I was there with Bushesha, you know, jumping on top of me and I had to survive. So you're not trying new stuff in those situations. So I felt like going back home. I usually, when I was living there, I would go back home. I had a six months visa. I couldn't ever stay longer than six months. So 
I always use that kind of like a vacation to come back home. Sometimes like during summer, I worked here to get more money to go back and, you know, save up money and stuff. And then I would train here. And I always realized that the stuff I learned there and I couldn't do it. I came back home. I trained with lower belt guys that wouldn't like smash me the way the guys smashed me in, in, in the US. And I was actually able to try new stuff. And I always... It felt like I learned the most when I was back home and, and nobody was showing me new stuff, but I was working on everything I was I had learned and I, I was able to implement it back home with the lower belts and then I did it on the tougher guys and tougher guys. And then once I went back to the US, I always came back with new techniques, you know? So I feel it's the same thing today. I mean, even if let's say I don't have those like roles sometimes where somebody is smashing me or giving me a really hard time. I can work a lot of new stuff and then, you know, there's like lower belt guys that maybe don't give you that much of a hard time and there's lower belt guys that are tough too. So I start with the less tough, tough guys and I, I do it on them and then eventually I'll get it on the tougher guys and I feel, like I said, I feel I'm way better than when I was training in the US. Even not having that high level training, I feel I learn almost more now. And I feel better. I honestly just, I, I think like my jujitsu feels a lot better today. I have more confidence in it. And I actually like it. I like to be back home and training here. I feel exactly the same way. And I kind of liken it as well to sometimes like the high level boxers. When they're training in a camp for a fight, they're not getting beaten up every day. It's kind of more focused around them. And obviously it's a bit selfish sometimes, but when you're one of the like more senior people at the gym you can kind of design the training a bit more for yourself like you can have an input in what specific positions you're doing for the sparring and other things like that so i definitely find having more like lower belts to train with definitely helps but there's there's a balance as well as you were saying yeah yeah you, you can't be the guy that just you know plays with everyone and smashes them and has zero like uh, competition nobody that gives you a hard time then probably it's not that good either but if you have tougher guys and then I think you can, like you said, I think you can like put your training together pretty well, even if you don't have world-class black belts to train with every day. I think, I think it might be necessary at some point where you have to learn a lot. Like it was good for me that I did all this and I learned during all that time. But today I don't think it's super necessary anymore. I think today I can work with what I know and just get better at that. And I can do that with not anyone, but it doesn't need to be the the black belt world champs you're probably not going to lose some of the toughness that you built up over the years you know you're not going to lose that in the space of a couple of months and how has it been competing at the black belt so far do you find much difference to the lower belts or i don't think it was a big difference at any belt to be honest like if any belt i i think that there i felt a difference was a purple belt like i think that jump from blue to purple is probably one of the biggest jumps because Blue is, I mean, no offense, but blue is still kind of a beginner. And then a purple, you're kind of advanced. I mean, that's where the division happens, I think. And then like a really good purple belt could be fighting black belts already and do well. And a really good blue belt is not going to do too well against black belts, in my opinion. So that like that's the division where you separate separate to like really good guys from just you know kind of regular guys and i felt that competing that 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 was probably the belt i felt the most when i had those opponents at purple belt that were really good i actually felt they were really good and at blue belt i didn't feel that 
that much. But a black belt, honestly, I think it's it's pretty much the same thing. I mean, you get better as you progress through the belts. So you know, at brown belt, you, it might it it probably would have been tough to fight at black belt. But once you are at the black belt level yourself, you know, it's it's just that's your opponent. So in regards like the nogi game, you've got some good results recently. I know you. You closed out the Nogi Europeans a couple of years ago with Adam Wardzinski. That's a great result in itself. But how do you find now adapting to kind of the new Nogi game where there's a lot of new positions and techniques that you need to kind of improve on? I know I have to improve my heel hooks. That's I know that's something that you're good at. Yeah, because I mean I never done it. I'm I'm not a not not a big fan, but I've I just never I don't know, I never trained a lot with heel hooks. I never I wasn't really interested in 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 learning he looks now i think now i am interested and i think i got better at it too I'm, i wouldn't say i'm 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 really good at it but yeah i mean for sure it's it's a big part of jiu-jitsu nowadays especially with all you know like the danaher guys when they came up like heel hooking everyone and i think that yeah i mean that a lot of people started focusing on heel hooks more when that happened and i think it's it's the right thing to do it's a part of jiu-jitsu i mean you can't just neglect it and say oh you're not allowed to do that that doesn't count i mean it's you know jiu-jitsu is supposed to be like a, a real martial art and in my opinion in a real martial art you're if it's within the rules you're you're supposed to be allowed to attack anything i mean the legs are it's just as it's the same thing as attacking the arms pretty much i mean so I saw as well that you were doing some training before with Josh Thompson and some of the guys over in AKA. I was just wondering, how did you find the adapting your jiu-jitsu to MMA and how was it helping those guys? And what kind of level did they have, I suppose, in the pure grappling sense over there? It was really good. I mean, Josh is the man. He brought me to train with him a couple of times already to help him prepare for fights and stuff. So when I was there, he would bring me to AKA. That's where he would train too. So I got to train with those guys i got to uh, teach a class or two at the at aka before for um for the guys and it was a great experience i mean i got to train with all the with all the champions i trained with uh, luke rockhold he's really actually really good like he has nice jujitsu like actual jujitsu you know not just like positioning and but like actual uh you know attacks passing guard stuff and that was a cool experience they were all super solid. I mean, they're tough, you know, like all tough guys. You you always feel that when you train with MMA guys, like they're just just tough. Even if they don't know that much jiu-jitsu, they're just tough to sweep. They're tough to submit. They don't want to tap, you know. So I always, like, I felt all of them were really tough. I think my jiu-jitsu, I mean, it's good. I've, I've trained with guys that um, do MMA before, and I actually really enjoyed it. Back in the day, like one of my goals was to do an MMA fight. Honestly, nowadays, not so much because I don't know, man. I I don't feel like getting kicked and kicked in the head and, and, you know, like elbowed in the face. I don't think that's much fun. Like that's not a fun experience. But at the same time, I'm like, I would kind of like, I would like to try some somehow. So I got to train with guys in that do MMA and I think my jiu-jitsu worked pretty well because I like to do takedowns, I like to be on top, to pressure and on bottom I find ways to like be able to control and block the guy from punching you which I find it a, a very exciting actually. It's a fun thing to do to train with punches too. One guy that surprised me, not surprised me, I knew he was really good but impressed me was um, Kane Velasquez. Like the guy, he's super big but he moves so quick and is is it's impossible to hold the guy down like that was one thing that was really impressive when i would train with him and we would 
uh, do jujitsu, and whenever he would pass his guard or like go for his back or whatever, he would just st- stand up straight. Like in in one second, the guy was standing, take you off his back or take you out of your position, and you would be standing in front of a guy like Cain Velasquez. You know, like it's. I would only imagine how it how it must feel when you're fighting MMA and then he starts punching you because when we would stand up he, we would wrestle or you know like restart in the position so there was no punching so train with Khabib too he was very tough very like good positioning I mean I, I felt he was really heavy like heavy hips and and just controlling a lot I think he was like pretty much my weight when I was there so yeah he felt heavy we did like positioning like positional like rolls from I had to try to sweep him where he would use the the walls like a fence and I was like backed against the wall trying like it was super hard to I mean it's probably super hard already to sweep the guy he has a very good base and then I was like backed with my head in the corner and he was like hovering over me trying to like just control me and I would have to try to sweep him and stuff. And we did wrestling on the wall, which, you know, he's really, really good at too. But he was a really cool guy. Like, he, very humble, very down to earth, you know, like uh, I showed him. I don't know. I don't remember what I showed him, if it was a kimura or a guillotine or I showed him something and he liked it a lot. And he was like, oh, nice. Thank you. And then, you know, he he, he went to roll with his buddies like they, there's a bunch of Russians there. And he rolled with them and he caught them in, I don't know, I don't remember what it was. I think it was a Kimura actually. And he caught them in the submission. Like he rolled with them and he caught each each one of them in the submission. And then he came back to me. He's like, oh man, so cool. Thank you very much. This works. And like super cool guy. Yeah, really, really down to earth guy. So something I've been thinking a lot about recently is how short an athlete's life is almost. Mm-hmm. Like once you get to your mid, your late 30s, then you kind of start having to change into from being kind of a full-time competitor into something else do you ever think about things like that or yeah for sure how old are you i'm 27 now okay 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 so you're a little younger i'm 30 years old i i turned 30 in january master one yeah master one but i'm I'm still gonna compete as adult for the next couple years but so the thing is i actually started university when i came back home three years ago so I've been like in university and training apart from that. So I'm going to get my bachelor's degree this year and I'm planning on getting my master's degree after that. But for sure, I mean, that was one of the things that made me move back home too, because I realized, I mean, you know, jiu-jitsu is all fun and it's a nice thing to do. And if you want to open your gym, then that's fine. You know, like it's it's something you can do for your life if that's what you want to do. But a part of that, I mean, how are you going to have a decent life when you're 40, 50 years old if you're not opening your gym? I mean, I don't think that's possible. It's not basketball or soccer or anything where you can make that kind of money to just live of it. So, I mean, I always knew that. So my goal was never to um, do jujitsu to have a career in a sense of for my whole life to like open up a gym afterwards. I never wanted to open up a gym. I just wanted to do it for myself because I love jiu-jitsu and I wanted to test myself against the best guys and just see how far I can get. But um, I always knew that at one point I would go back home and, you know, start university. So that's what I did. And I'm happy that I, I really enjoy a university. I think it's very good. It's very interesting. Um, life is long. You know, you're you're not going to be always young and fresh and feeling good. You know, at 50 years old, me, I'm not I'm not saying that's how it should be, but I myself, I don't want to be 
having to live off jujitsu when I'm 50 years old, my back is hurting. I have to go to the gym, teach like kids class or something. That was always like my horror scenario where I was like, I, I mean, I'm not a big fan of teaching kids class anyway. So I was like, that's not what I want to do with my life. I want to, you know, have a, let's say like regular life. Like I want to have a job. I want to make money. I want to be able to afford a good life. I like to live well, you know, I'm like a, a part of training and stuff. I'm very relaxed. I like to enjoy stuff. I, I enjoy a good life. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> so what kind of ambitions would you have then outside the sport, maybe as you get older? I want to get a like good career. I mean, the same way I try to make something nice happen for myself in jiu-jitsu and try to chase after my goals. Honestly, that's exactly how I want to do my career once I start uh, once I finish university and start working I want to you know I want to get a good job I just don't want any job like I have ambitions just the way I had it in jiu-jitsu I I have it for my like professional working career and yeah hopefully that's going to work out I mean I'm excited it's just like a a new chapter really I mean I'm still like now in university so I just have like half usually it's like half a day of university you have like four or six hours so it's not all day so i'm i'm still able i'm training you know now uh, not really but regular corona free times you're training like twice a day once you start working you work all day long i don't know you have family you have other stuff to do you don't train that much anymore and then it makes sense to to five masters because that's how the other masters are usually too i mean they have other stuff to do they can't just be training all day but i'm living like a young guy's life really so like i don't have family i don't have uh, anything else to do a part of uh, next to university so i'm training and that's why i'm gonna be competing at the at adult it seems like a good balance really overall yeah yeah and then yeah. for your future goals regarding like competition is there anything that stands out that you're really looking forward to doing or not really, to be honest. I mean, I just want to do as well as possible. I want to go against the best guys in the world because I think that's exciting, like to get a crack at, you know, those guys and, and, and try to see what's possible. I mean, like I said, I feel really well. I feel really good. Yeah, I want to compete against the best guys. There's not one specific tournament. And honestly, like it doesn't mean that much to me to say that you won this or that tournament anymore. Like before I would have to I felt like I had to prove something. Winning something was a way of proving that you're good. Like, oh, you, you won this, you're this champ, that champ, whatever. But honestly, I mean, my life doesn't change. If I, if I won the Black Belt World Championship tomorrow, nothing would be different. Uh, nothing would change. I wouldn't feel any different. So, I mean, having that medal at home is a cool story. It's a nice experience. But I, I just want to, I just want to make some noise. At this point, like I want to, I want to go out there and, you know, fight, scrap, and and just have fun and see how well I can do against the best guys. Yeah, and the funny thing is, you'll probably get better results because of that. Then, like I said, I don't care about the result. I want to go there and I want to have fun. I'm training hard. I want to do what I do every day in training, and that's that's pretty much it. Some super fights will be cool to you know get some some money if they pay for it or just super fights are cool because you're facing a good guy already you know at the tournament you face anyone so at a super fight you you get like a bigger name and stuff which which i think that's the exciting st thing you know like i want to that's when i started training that was like my dream was you know thinking like man one day you can face this guy for example like for example for me it would be like a dream he he retired he's not competing anymore but Hamalu Bahal 
Like when I started, man, like he's still the man today. He's a legend. But back then he was like competing, winning everything. Like imagine facing a guy like that. For me, that's a, that's a win already to be able to face somebody like that. Shanji Hibero, for example, you know, dream come true to be able to face those guys. I think that's, that's what I would like to do. Yeah, I was always disappointed that I just missed Hafa Mendes. He just retired just as I got to the, the black belt level. But that was always a dream of mine, to be able to compete and at least have a chance to win. And in my head, I was like, even if I only have a 5% chance to win, it's going to be that 5% when I yeah, get no, it. Yeah, you no, know? and I mean, why not? <laughs> you know, like you want to like, try it. You want to get your chance at, at going for it. So, yeah, for sure. I think that's one of the nice things that I would like to still do. But a part of that, I just want to compete as long as I can um, until I finish university and have to start an adult's life. Like until that, I want to just have fun and make something happen. Thanks a million for coming on the show, Philippe. Best of luck with everything, all your studying and the competition. And we hope to see you back on the mats very soon. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, man. Thanks again to Philip for taking the time to come on the show. There was some great takeaways from that one, particularly some lessons in how some of the best fighters in the world train. And it was also interesting to hear how athletes plan for the future and the positive effect it can actually have on their performance. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, share it with your friends, subscribe, and give us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening on. It really helps a lot. We'll be back with another great guest next week. Until then, Slana Gospanacht.